Hey, Andrew. Hey, Greg. Today is Wednesday, January 3rd, 2018. What have you been into since Santa Claus came? Uh, I've been keeping myself pretty busy. I uh, watched some TV, watched some movies. So I, um, did I, did I mention last time that I saw Disaster Artist? I don't know if you got a chance to talk about this at all. No, we haven't talked about that. Uh, I saw that a while ago now. It's been a while since I've gotten a turn at this. Um, it was really good. So it's probably not in theaters anymore, but as soon yeah. as it gets available for those who are interested in such things, uh, it, I mean, I haven't read the book prior, although I, I think I want to after seeing the movie, but just seeing how at least Greg Sestero's version of how that all came to be makes me question reality even more than the movie itself did the first <laughs> time. Um, especially given his involvement with the movie, Tommy Wiseau's involvement with the movie and all of those things. So yeah, that was good. I saw another movie besides Star Wars. <laughs> really get m- making use of my movie pass now. I saw four movies in December. It was awesome. Wow. Um, two of those were Star Wars, but uh, I saw Downsizing, Matt Damon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Really? It was really, really bad. I mean, so <laughs> bad that when Shay and I left the theater after just like constantly looking at each other and being like, what are we watching? Everyone in the theater was like looking around at each other like, what did we just... That was terrible. Like every like people, strangers were talking to each other about how bad this movie was when they left the theater. Hmm. It was just, I mean, it was a really cool idea, which is why I wanted to see it. Like this idea of, you know, and I think there was like still something there to the idea of like shrinking people from like, a, you know, there's a lot of really cool little world building things of like what it does to the economy and how people, you know, should they be counted as a full person for voting and like all these different things that came out with it. But it actually didn't really have anything to do with the story itself and not in like a, oh, everything's the same kind of way. Just like, a, why are we doing this kind of way? Yeah. It was so bad. <laughs> well, I'm sorry you had to suffer through it, but I guess at least because you saw it with MoviePass, it was at least kind of free, right? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't like, it's one of those examples of, sure, let's go see a movie. And if I would have spent, you know, $30 to go see that for two people, I'd have been very upset, but we didn't. So it's fine. That's the that's the glory of it for now. All right. So I've been uh, catching up on some fall TV, you know, some of the CW shows and stuff. But I also got to watch all of the new season of Black Mirror, uh, which we binged pretty hard post New Year's, which was depressing as always. But also I enjoyed it. I know it's been pretty divisive online, but I think a lot of anthology shows will be divisive because each episode, especially ones that are can be so as different as Black Mirror episodes are. Yeah. Some people, it's not going to fit in their model of what they want to watch or whatever. So just like seeing movies, right? Basically watching six little movies and not every movie is going to check every box, everybody. So sure. The last thing that I did, Greg, was a big one. I read all of Oathbringer. (laughs) All 1300 pages. Jesus. And it was really good. Uh, Big surprise. I sort of feel like I haven't read anything since then because I sort of feel like I just like ate a really amazing, humongous meal. You get that feeling like I never really want to eat again for a while. So I'm working my way back up to starting back into um, Perdido Station. But Oathbringer was very good. As always, I would recommend Stormlight Archives for anyone who's interested in high fantasy. Uh, Sanderson has a way of, you know, keeping it character driven, but also doing some really big, spectacular things. And just once they once you hit that. You know, people call it the Sanderson avalanche for like the last, you know, maybe 15, 20 percent of the book where all the pieces start falling into place 
and the climax occurs and you just can't stop reading. And because it's a 1300 page book, that's like 200 pages. So <laughs> it's pretty intense, but a lot of cool world building, both for Stormlight and also for the greater Cosmere. This is probably, you know, increasingly the Cosmere is playing a bigger role and, you know, there's, we're getting more crossovers with characters from other realms and things. So it's, it's fun. And, but also the story itself is just really good. One thing I really enjoy about this series is that, you know, there's a lot more, like more main characters than there are in some of his other works like Mistborn or stuff like that, where it's usually like, you know, three or four main characters. There's a few more in this because it's a bigger, bigger story. And one of my complaints about Sanderson in the past was that many of his character, his leads, his main leads, like the male and female protagonists of each story kind of felt a little samey. And that's not untrue of, you know, the male and one of the male and female protagonists leads in Stormlight. Mm -hmm. They seem very similar to like, oh, this guy is kind of like Kelsier, who's kind of like Rayodin, who's kind of like, you know, this guy. And this girl's kind of like, I mean, she's not like Vin. Vin's a little different, but um, just sort of like the girls are kind of witty and smart, but also beautiful, but also, you know, have some some individual flaw. But where Stormlight really shines is that some of the other characters that don't fit in like the stereotypical fantasy lead, like the main one of the main characters in the book is named Dalinar, and he is the... He's like a, a 40s or 50s year old, like high prince, you know, like former general who's just like a really and this is like kind of his book. And he's really awesome. And just his role and having like an it's weird to have like older protagonists. I feel like yeah. a lot of books are about young upstarts, you know, young whippersnappers. And you get a couple older characters that are really awesome. So um, I really enjoyed it. And now I have to do the next three year wait for another uh, Stormlight book begins. <laughs> but the fact that. No, I'm like confident that in three years I'm gonna get in their Stormlight book as opposed to say, you know, a certain Winds of Winter or, you know, whatever else. But the only thing sad is that we're actually from the sounds of it, we're not getting another Cosmere book until I think the last book of the current Mistborn trilogy comes out in I think he said fall of twenty nineteen. So I'm gonna be a little bit like Sanderson San Sanderson, if you will, for a little while. His next book he's working on is called skyward i think or sky hmm. something and he says he's basically trying to take the classic boy and his dragon story but set it in a sci-fi setting and make a girl and her starfighter story hmm. so not sure exactly what that means but sounds interesting he actually just like pulled a whole book he had finished he's like i just didn't like it so i didn't give it to the publisher huh to be an author and have that like capability must feel good where it's like that ah, it doesn't feel right i'm not gonna make money now because <laughs> i already have enough money from other things yeah well, but you also figure like a, a lot of, you know, he seems like a pretty efficient, efficiency minded guy. Like a lot of that work is probably going to end up in other things, you know? Yeah. I think he's, he's going to rework work it at some point, but yeah. for now it's just going back to the drawing board. He's like, you know, now it's not the time in my creative process that this book seems to be wanting to be made. So I'll come back to it later. Interesting though. So that's pretty much it. Uh, it was a lot, but I'm, I'm excited to, digging into stuff for 2018 how were, how were your holidays man were they good Ooh, they good yeah they were good um you know had a really nice little christmas with the in-laws and then with um with my folks and then we had uh some friends from new jersey over for new year's and it was all very very nice um but then when once it was all over karen and i realized that because with you know, we had the move and we had Thanksgiving and we had 
Christmas and we had New Year's. We had all these things. And my sister got married in November. And we had all these things in our life starting in like September or October when we kind of got news that we were going to be moving um, of like these countdowns of, okay, we, you know, we, we have to have a house picked by such and such a date, which means, okay, so now we work backwards, which means that we need to start doing this on this day and this on that day. And then, okay, after that, we need to make sure that, you know, in order to move, the movers are coming on Friday and we need to have, which means we got to have everything packed up by such a time. And this room's getting packed on this day and all of that kind of planning and having all of these kind of deadlines that we've been working towards for, you know, the move and then the holidays, because you can't push Christmas back a day because you didn't finish wrapping your presents. So we realized, you know, after we said goodbye to our friends um, on New Year's that, oh man, we don't have any like huge life projects that we have to work against and like plan for. And it's just like, Hey, if we just want to like sit around and play video games all night, we, we can, and we don't have to feel guilty about it because there's, there's, Oh, well now we've got to pack up two rooms tomorrow night. It's like, no, we can just do whatever we want. So, um, so I've had been able to like watch TV shows and read and play video games and, do nothing. It's been awesome. Well, I just gonna ask, what have you been into then? I have been playing Assassin's Creed Origins, which I had basically given up on the Assassin's Creed series for a lot of the reasons that other people had given up on Assassin's Creed. Um, one of the main ones being that uh, Assassin's Creed has been a huge, like monolith video game franchise for a decade plus. Um, but every Assassin's Creed game spends the first two, three, four hours of it acting like you've never played an Assassin's Creed game, let alone a video game before and like <laughs> teaching you how to do everything again. And, um, that just became incredibly frustrating. Um, so I kind of gave up on it and, um, but then I was hearing very good things about this game and, uh, so far it is very good. It takes place in ancient Egypt, which is a nice change of pace from, the various kind of Western locales of the last batch of games. And uh, so far, it's just a lot of fun, a great looking game. Um, so I, I've been enjoying that. Um, I've been reading a novel that I'm kind of taking a chance on. Um, it's called Utopia, but it's spelled E-U-T-O-P-I-A. So that E-U as in eugenics, um, it, I don't know if you'd call it historical fiction because it's kind of like when I think of historical fiction, I think of more like what if such and such a battle in the civil war had gone a different way. Whereas this is more like taking some things that were going on in America at the time and just kind of extrapolating on them and adding apparently a, for lack of a better word, Lovecraftian twist that's going to come into play at some point. Um, but it takes place in 1910, 1911. And, um, it is about a kind of eugenics movement in America that I'm, I'm still pretty early on in the book, but clearly um, in their attempts to establish some kind of pure American race, they stumbled onto some creepy stuff. So we're going to see where this all goes. Um, it, it's, you know, it's kind of under the radar. I, I think I heard about it on 
Boing Boing or some blog somewhere, and it just seemed interesting. And so far, it's been it, it's been fine. <laughs> but I just thought it was kind of an interesting premise, um, and uh, so I'm, I'm into that. Uh, Utopia, a novel of terrible optimism, by David Nichol. Um, and then over the over the like, let's say Christmas break, for lack of a better term, I this is unusual for me. I went on kind of a true crime kick. I was running dangerously low on podcasts, and I wanted—I didn't really want to listen to fiction. Um, and nobody was doing anything like in like kind of the current events space because you know it was getting to be the holidays and everybody was just kind of taking off. So I ended up listening to the podcast "My Favorite Murder," which, if you like true crime and serial killers, uh, there's a lot to like in that podcast. Um, if you don't like to listening to, to, um, by their own admission, Valley girls, uh, talk about Hollywood nonsense for 20 to 30 minutes before they start talking about serial killers. There's maybe less to like in this podcast, but, um, so I was listening to that. I listened to like 40 episodes of that. Jesus. Like a crazy person. Um, uh, and then I watched Mindhunter on Netflix, which is, again, I guess you can call this historical fiction because it is a highly dra- dramatized and fictionalized uh, version of the founding of the FBI's behavioral crime unit, which kind of invented like criminal profiling, um, where investigators will look at the look at the evidence of a murder generally, and based on what they see in the you know the crime scene try to put together a psychological profile of the killer. Um, and it wasn't great. It wasn't, I mean, I think that David Fincher was involved, so it has a lot of his aesthetic to it, but the writing is just kind of ham-handed where, you know, there are scenes where the young investigator who's got all these great ideas about psychology and he's getting into fights with the higher-ups and there is dialogue that is, and this isn't a literal quote, but it's close, like, we're trying to change the way we catch criminals. And then the, and then the, the, you know, that's stuck up old boss says, we're the FBI. We lock up criminals. We don't understand them. And you're like, Oh, for fuck's sake, guys, come on. Just <laughs> like, I understand that you have to like for the economies of television, you kind of have to like be kind of obvious with some of the themes, but it's like, what I really want to see are the scenes where he's sitting there, like interviewing, like real life serial killers and um trying to get into their heads like that's what i'm here for i don't need to you know you don't need to be like the fbi used to be a bunch of jerks like i I don't need that that sounds weird um i heard mostly good things about that but it did you did remind me that i'm watching something else uh currently with shay we're watching that um elias grace alias grace show you seen this on netflix it's another um uh marker atwood story ah. adapted for screen and it has like Anna Paquin and some other people in it uh but it's it's like about a a, a woman this I think it's like the 1830s or 40s in Canada uh which is interesting because um not a setting you see very often <laughs> and um I mean very few things are set in Canada ever let alone back in time like that but <clears throat> the uh it's about a woman who's been accused from murder and she's in jail and she wasn't executed because it was sort of like implied that 
haven't exactly said it, but like executing women isn't exactly something they want to do, even though they think she deserves it. Um, but she maintains her innocence. Uh, but she's a little bit off and they bring in a sort of, uh, I guess what would be like a very early psychologist to try and he's very interested in her case and sort of, so she, he's interviewing her and you're sort of seeing the story play out and flashbacks and sort of a kind of a different style of like quick cuts and things like that. That is strange for the kind of context, but, hmm. uh, I really like it. I don't know why I really like it. It just seems it's just holding my attention and you're not really sure where the story is going, but it's interesting. Margaret Atwood seems to make interesting stories that apparently are adapting well to, to screen. So, but it's funny. True crime is something that's always like a, I guess pretty hit or miss thing for me. I think it's one of those things that like hit people, like you said, hit people in like waves. Cause it's just like, you get so addicted to like what's going to happen and the mystery of it all. And well, and a lot of the stuff, it, it's just, it gets pretty grim because you hear about some genuinely horrible things that human beings have done to one another. And then it's like, um, trying to find some kind of like, okay, why? Like, obviously you get kind of hooked on it because at least in the case of like this serial killer stuff, like, there's a salacious kind of um, horror movie kind of angle of like, you want to hear the grisly details of such and such a thing. But then you know, like, you kind of also want something of like, well, what did we learn from all this? And um, you don't always get that from, <laughs> from true crime. Sometimes it's just like, here's some fucked up shit that happened. Good luck sleeping now. Right. Or in more recent other, you know, slightly more recent or more recent things in the past, like, uh, making them a murder and stuff like, or serial, like here's some potential abortions of our justice system and eh, it's still messed up. <laughs> Great. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, actually when you get into, you know, justice system stuff, that's when it gets kind of interesting because at least then you feel like, okay, there's something that could be done. Like we have, by looking at this, we have exposed a flaw in our system. And a lot of times you look back at these serial killer cases and you realize that man, we have some problems with the way we sentence uh, sexual predators. Um, and, you know, man, maybe there should not be a statute of limitations on rape. Um, because a lot of times we, there were a lot of horrible monsters we could have caught if there hadn't been that. And that in many cases, sexual assault and rape are, can be precursors to more serious crimes. You, you hear, you learn about, you know, the more you learn about a lot of serial killers is that they kind of practice and they kind of escalate their behavior. And it starts with, you know, it might start with robbery and burglary, and then that escalates into more serious assaults before finally escalating into murder. And then you realize, like, these guys have been in jail and gotten out many times. <laughs> like, you're like, well, maybe we should be trying harder on things. Or the way that for some reason in America, um, we try we punish attempted murder and murder very differently. Like the, like if I try to kill you, but just do a bad job at it, like I'm treated much differently than somebody who succeeds at killing you when we're the same kind of monster. I'm just not good at being a monster. Why should I be out on the streets when a guy who's, you know, it's just like, well, you know, he might try to kill somebody again, but he's, he sucks. So it'll be fine. Like, no, <laughs> like maybe we should be, taking these things seriously. So sometimes you get from true crime, you get a little bit of like a, yeah, like now this is maybe changing my mind about the way some of the system works or, um, you know, uh, but also it, especially maybe because I listen to 40 of these things for <laughs> the course of like two weeks, like it makes you a little paranoid because every time you see somebody who's acting a little bit like even unusual, like I was driving 
you know, just on some errand and you see some guy like walking around on the roof of like a gas station and you're like, well, that's weird. You know, he's probably up there fixing the heating ducts or something. And you're like, but you look up there and all of a sudden you're like, is that guy, is he a murderer? And like, I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. This is making the world a hard place to be in. Yeah. It's, you know, it's shining a lens on a small, small minority. Right. But when you consume it all in a very quick amount of time, it starts to color your view of the world. Well, and I think it's natural. It's a natural human impulse to like, when you're listening to a story, be it fictional or real, your brain is naturally inclined to extract a lesson, right? Like, what am I going to walk away from this with? And like, has this, how does this teach me something about the world? Or how does this teach me some kind of survival skill or something like that? Like, and when all you're listening to is things about like, murderers and kidnappers <laughs> like all right everybody's gonna try to murder and kidnap me i've gotta be on my guard gotta be prepared yeah uh well greg um you tell me next time what you've done to prepare yourself for the murderers and the <laughs> serial killers that are hunting you <laughs> then well yeah no the ones that are hunting you that's easy because you can identify them and they're stalking you it's the random just you know you hear about people who like, I always felt like, you know, the whole, like, oh, you gotta lock your door at night, and, like, always make sure there's something. Who goes around just trying doorknobs? Apparently, serial killers do. <laughs> uh, don't let my fiance listen, listen to this episode, because um, she's really into true crime a lot, and, uh -huh. like, kind of into that sort of thing, but, like, it scares the bejesus out of her. I'm like, why do you do this to yourself? Like... <laughs> If you're scared of it, don't watch it. <laughs> She's like, but it's interesting. I'm like, it is interesting, but it's also terrifying. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's how it goes. Uh, so, well, last week we, or however many weeks ago, we discussed, <laughs> I, I just lose all, all track of time, you know, on these breaks, especially since we get off so many days for work, working at a university. And you know, we were at the house on Monday and I was like, what, what day of the week is it? And she oh, was yeah. like, Monday? <laughs> She's like, I don't know. <laughs> Um, but anyway, we talked about, we did our 2017 year in review and we talked about what we liked about 2017. So I thought tonight maybe we could talk about what we're, you know, it's, it's a new, it's a new year, a new start. You have any, uh, any resolutions? Um, other than the normal ones of like, try to undo the damage to my body that I've done over the last month. Um, it's pretty much it. <laughs> like having a baby keeps you honest. Like bad habits disappear pretty quick when <laughs> you don't have time to indulge them. Yeah, no, same for me. It's just like, oh yeah, I guess I'll try and eat better and try and really go to the gym, right? Uh, but anyway, so we thought we'd talk about what we're looking forward to in the genre fiction area or elsewhere, I suppose. Sure. So what are you, what are you looking forward to? Um, other than midterm elections. <laughs> Yeah, that'll be good. That'll uh, be good. I mean, if it, if if past recent elections are any indication, uh, if you if you're of that persuasion, yeah, yeah, this is a this is gonna not be a great year for the worst president ever. He's gonna well, and I and I think that if if you weren't of that persuasion, if you weren't of a certain persuasion before, you've been pushed into a certain persuasion because <laughs> of the worst president ever. He's um, a hard guy to like, but anyway, so. Setting those aside, because we're not going to get those until, like, November. Um, uh, one of the things I am uh, most looking forward to, um, and I'm going to be a sarcastic dick off the start, I am so looking forward to Ready Player One being a bad movie. Oh, laying it down already. So, 
I thought last time, I thought when we watched the trailer, you had said that you, even though, um, like, you you thought the trailer looked pretty good. Or am I misremembering? Well, I think the trailer is, like, it's exciting and rousing because it, it hit, it, it, it's like a concentrated dose of nostalgia set to a rush, a rush song. Like, yeah, that's gonna, that's gonna fire up my engines, but like, it's a, I'm, I'm sorry, Ready Player One is a, is, is kind of a bad book. And I don't think Steven Spielberg can fix what is essentially a dumb, bad story. Yeah. I mean, everyone I've talked to and trust has that opinion of the book. And I'm wondering if it's possible. A lot of things I've read are like, oh, maybe it'll, maybe it'll play out better on screen than it did on the page. And you can maybe fix a couple things, but I don't know exactly what things need to be fixed. Well, I do think it's weird that like, cause the you know, original was like all this 80s stuff, you know, all these references to 80s stuff. And this movie is like 80s stuff, but also all the other stuff that happened since then, since it's supposed to take place in the future. Cause there's things in the trailer that are like, well, that's, that's not from the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. There's like trace like, from Overwatch. Still like 80s. Yeah. And it's like, that's like, it's still like 80s esque and themed and like nostalgia based but like also yeah there's tracer from overwatch and iron giant you're like well those are things aren't from the 80s yeah and i mean the the problem the main problem with ready player one was that it was entirely superficial surfacey you know just performative nostalgia like remember this remember this remember this it didn't actually address what made those things compelling or the way they made us feel or anything like that. And it would appear that all they've done with the movie is just dump in 10 times as much of it and spread it out over a broader, you know, time period. Um, so it looks like it's even more pandery than the first one, because it's like the maker said, now the book really pandered to kids who grew up in the eighties and nineties. I want a movie that panders to all kids. <laughs> so you're, are you thinking that much like this past year, we had some pretty major flops, particularly Dark Tower. Do you think that that will be the flop of this coming year? Mm, I don't know that it's going to be the flop of the year, but it's going to be bad. I think um, if I had to pick the flop of the year, at least in the areas that we oh examine. Boy. Oh boy. Um, I mean, aside from some obvious, just like, oh, that's just going to be a stinker, like Rampage, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson, <laughs> based on a video game, if you remember. Uh, I do, where you beat up buildings. Like, that's just going to be dumb, and it's not going to do well, but I don't think anyone's expecting it to. Right. Um, I'm torn between Han Solo, Jurassic Park 38, and Pacific Rim. Mm. All right, all right. I... I just say I'm not really looking forward to Solo at all. No. For obvious reasons we've talked about in the past. I mean, I'm a little more interested that Ron Howard is involved and also from like an academic, you know, experience is looking at what this movie is going to look like having two very different, well, two and three directors, I guess, <laughs> I mean, two directing teams behind it that are very different in style and tone and see what comes out of it, especially, especially given how divisive The Last Jedi has been. Yeah. I mean... I feel number, like everyone's got the microscope out, right? Like, yes. And number one, I'm I'm less. Um, uh, I was never psyched on Han Solo for reasons we've talked about before, mainly because I genuinely don't care about Han Solo at any point before we meet him in the cantina um, in in A New Hope. 
And, but more importantly, I think at this point, like we saw Justice League, we saw what happens when you change um, directors mid midstream because the first director was making the wrong movie. <laughs> like, and, and when you're bringing them in to like course correct the movie, like so far we haven't seen a lot of success with that model. So I would imagine that not only is it like already a story that I don't care about and I don't think you can do a great job with, but now it's going to be all over the place with tone, just like justice league. Um, yeah, I, that could be the big flop because I think that, yeah, I mean, I think last Jedi alienated some people and I don't think they're going to feel better about Han Solo. Like, I don't think Han Solo is the movie that brings back people who were, you know, alienated by last Jedi, uh, mainly people who don't like good movies, but, um, shots fired. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> um, you know, I don't think Han Solo is the movie that brings them back. Now, I mean, I still think it's, I think since Ron Howard had a little bit more time behind the wheel than say a Joss Whedon, there's a little more hope. It is a little odd that we haven't gotten a trailer yet. I mean, I guess they were waiting. They didn't want to pull anything away from last Jedi. Yeah. But seeing it as it's coming out pretty quickly afterwards, I'm sure we'll get one of those soon. Once last Jedi is out of theaters, I assume. Yeah. And well, not, we haven't seen a poster. We have, I mean, all we've really seen is a logo. We haven't seen yet. We haven't even released like promo shots of like, here he is. Here's Han Solo in costume. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, I'm not sure. I don't think it'll be a flop. I mean, it's a Star Wars movie. It's going to make a butt ton of money. Yeah. But I mean, maybe if, you know, maybe if they stick to a more traditional sort of movie, people who didn't like The Last Jedi like it. I don't know. Um, I mean, I'll go see it. But that'll be an interesting one to watch, I think, especially given its timing along in the same month as Infinity War, which is obviously the movie everyone is looking at this year is like, holy shit, it's actually coming out. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I just, I don't, I mean, I don't know about Infinity War. Maybe because, maybe because I'm just a little tired of this crew. Maybe I kind of, I, I, I'm kind of ready, I think already for, what, what are we calling it now? Marvel Phase 4? Yeah. Like, I'm already, I'm ready for Adam Warlock and Captain Marvel and a whole new cast of characters. I'm just kind of kind of over this batch, I guess. I don't know. I hear you. I don't agree yet. <laughs> but I, I hear and feel you. I mean, like, obviously, I'm really excited. I feel like I'm excited that it seems to be connecting a lot more with Black Panther than I originally thought, because that means a lot of those people are going to be in that movie, which will hope it hopefully, ho hopefully help it feel fresh. And that we're also getting, you know, the, the Wasp, is going to be in it and then also get their own movie. Mm -hmm. And that's a crew that we haven't seen that much of yet. Right. Um, that comes out, you know, in August. So we're going to get three Marvel movies pretty, pretty quickly in successive order, February, May, and August. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually looking forward to all of them. I'd say, obviously the order would be, if I had to make an order, it's infinity War, black Panther, then Ant-Man and the wasp. But you know, I'm, I'm interested in all of them for different reasons. I'm most I'm most psyched about Black Panther probably. It looks really cool and I was reading there were some like leaked, you know, like character descriptions or whatever on toys or something, but uh I didn't realize that like the main character or the main villain Killmonger played by Michael B Jordan is not from Wakanda. He's like an American. Hmm. 
but like knows a lot. I don't know. It sounds interesting, but it just a little seems like a little more complex story than I thought. And um, it sounds like from this description, like Black Panther's getting upgrade to stats with his new <laughs> suit and all that kind of stuff. And now that we're talking about, um, you know, the fact that Wakanda seems to be is a setting for Infinity War, and it seems very obvious that the Soul Gem is probably going to be in Wakanda. I have a theory that their um, vibranium mines is actually like an asteroid, a meteorite impact that brought this, you know, precious metal to Earth. But then in the center of it was the Soul Gem, which mm-hmm. helps do some sort of helps do something with Black Panther's powers. Yeah, that he's gonna have to use he's gonna have to use the soul gem to beat the bad guy at some point, right? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's not part of the main plot, but maybe it's like just it's just shown at some point. Kind of like, well, I guess Doctor Strange did use it, but yeah, I could see that he might use it. I mean, you have those sort of trippy visual, like triple trippy scenes that we see that I think might have something to do with the soul gem, like the spirit of the panther or whatever that they connect with, or yeah, some some comic book nonsense. So no, I'm really. I'm really pumped for that. I just I hope that it's awesome and that everyone goes goes and sees it. <laughs> oh, I think it's I think it's gonna do all right. Um I just I'm I'm you know, it's like I was saying, I'm excited for like to see some new characters. I'm excited for, you know, to get to know Black Panther a little better and um like I just tired of looking at Captain America. <laughs> but but Captain America with a beard that changes oh, things. Oh yeah. <laughs> and now it's Black Widow's got blonde hair now. Yeah, uh, but we'll see. Um, are you interested in any of the other superhero movies? Okay, with Deadpool two, you're probably interested in. Yes, but like obviously, you're not interested in the next any of the X Men movies coming out. Besides that, no, I a New Mutants. I don't think is going to be good. Um, putting the X Men in a haunted, insane asylum. Pass. Well, also not not just not the X Men, but a bunch of like third tier X characters that I've never heard of. <laughs> pass. Right. right. Hard right. pass. Uh. Um, I am intrigued by Venom. I don't, I don't think any of us know enough about it yet to say whether or not like, you know, I, my curiosity has been, has, is peaked. Um, Dark Phoenix. No, never. Deadpool. Yes. Aquaman. Mm, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's it. I mean, so it's like five or six superhero movies, right? Yeah, I mean, so I guess for you, it's actually kind of a, a bleak outlook for movies for you for the year, isn't it? I don't know. Um, I mean, outside of the Marvel, like, I mean, you said you're, you know, so so the Marvel stuff, but is there, and Deadpool, you know, like mentioned Deadpool, besides that, is there anything you're really excited for? Um, there's a lot of things I'm, shall we say, curious about. Um, I'm curious about Annihilation. Yeah, that made my list too. Um, I'm curious about the Predator because it's Shane Black making a Predator movie. So yeah, all right, that could be good. Um, there's did you, huh? did you ever see the last one, the Predators? Yes. Was it good? I mean, it was the best movie the Predator had been in since Predator Two. <laughs> are you a fan um, of Predator Two? Because a lot of people are not a fan of that movie. All right. Um. I enjoy watching Predator 2. That movie's dumb as hell. Um, but I enjoy it. it is a I enjoy it for how dumb and bonkers it is. Um, okay. but I will not say that Predator 2 is a good movie or that there are lessons to be learned from Predator 2. 
Fair enough. Predator, the original Predator is, you know, an absolute, you know, masterpiece of um, action horror movie making. Um, it has not, you know, has not been topped. Um, but this one could be could be good. I mean, Shane Black generally makes good movies, and he was actually in the original Predator, so <laughs> I guess that's, that counts for something. Right, right. I'm I'm kind of excited for uh I, I don't know anything about it, but Mortal Engines. I'm just like intrigued by it. I'm like, I don't know what this is. It looks like some bonker shit, but like looks like maybe it's just enough into the weird territory that it could be interesting or it could be complete shit. I don't know, but Yeah, is that who's making that? P- Peter Jackson. Okay. So Peter Jackson has made three good movies, four bad movies, and some horror movies that like six people saw. So <laughs> I don't hate King Kong. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's a good movie, but I don't think it's as bad yeah. as some of the excesses of the Hobbit movies. Yeah. I mean, um, but yeah, it is a bonkers premise. Um, but having looked at the trailer, um, I'm kind of into it. Um, it's weird as hell. And I like weird as hell stuff. Um, obviously, the, I need to know more. I need to, you know, I need to see more of it to get a feel for like, is this, you know, what's the overall tone and and who is this for? Um, but that looks interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I don't know nothing about it. I don't know if it's based on anything or anything like that, but it was just like, I was watching the trailer. I'm like, what the hell is going on in this trailer? I'm like, is this some sort of, I don't know. It's just, it's just really, really weird premise and I'm cool with it. It's like, that's London on wheels. It's like, okay. Yeah. So it's a, um, it is a novel series. Um, the general premise is that in some kind of post-apocalypse, like all cities are now mobile and they like eat each other to expand something like that. I don't know. It reminds me a lot of um, Rail Sea, China Meville's young adult novel that I really enjoyed. Um, and maybe that's what's drawing me to it is I just feel like I'm seeing a Rail Sea movie. But um, yeah, that could be decent. Yeah, I mean, hopefully Peter Jackson redeemed himself a little bit because, you know, it's not been not been so good for him. And it sucks because it's hard to, you know, the Lord of the Rings movies are like some of my favorite movies. And I know some purists dislike them for some reasons or whatever, but like, I I really just, I think they're really good movies. Yeah, no, they're fantastic. And um, I just, I hope that he can kind of redeem himself and maybe rein himself in a little bit. Clearly, it's going to be very heavily CGI'd and... Uh, all that sort of thing, but that's okay as long as it's good. <laughs> <laughs> so, what about so we did a lot, a lot of movies? Any other movies you're interested in, or should we move Oof. on? Um, I mean, they're making the, the, there's another Mission Impossible movie that's going to come out. Those are always fine. Um, I mean, if you want to see some stunts and some you know cool action stuff, those are always always decent. Um, I know I I, I I kind of a dim view on Pacific Rim in terms of how it's going to. Oh how it's going to perform, but at the very least, it's probably going to be good for some uh, giant monster action. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of the original Pacific Rim. I actually really should watch it again because, you know, I just really enjoyed it. And I'll now that I have none of those movies that like probably wouldn't pay to go see if I did a movie pass, but am going to. So um, yeah, that's, that'll hopefully be good. The trailer made it look like a little weird, I don't know why it just didn't really seem to have like the wow factor of the yeah. first one. 
where I was just like, when first time I was like, yes, this is exactly what I need and want in my life. And this is kind of like, okay, I'll go see it maybe five time. Yeah, that's that's the thing that I think is going to be the the challenge for that is that the first one did well in part because it was like, this is crazy. Like, I can't believe they made this movie and it was bigger and louder and brighter than, you know, anything people had seen. And it was like, what if we, you know, what if we made a live action Evangelion movie, but made it fun? Um, you know, and it was all this anime stuff that people just, I think, weren't weren't ready and that weren't ready for. But like, it was surprising and new and fresh. And how does the new one provide that same sense of awe and wonder without just being like, hey, it's more giant monster action. Yeah, it looks like they were trying to maybe deepen the bench a little bit with like the different styles of monsters and or mechs, which was good because, you know, the I know there's like they said there's like extended cuts that have a lot more of like the other countries Jaegers from the first one that like were pretty cool. But you see those things for like 20 seconds before they get ripped yeah. to shreds. And you're like, oh, fuck, I wanted to see like the Russian one, like do some crazy Russian stuff. But um, this one looks like they're going to actually maybe have more of like a team feel, which I don't know, bigger and better, but that's kind of what that genre does. Yeah. It's, it's, it's okay to have a little bit of Dragon Ball syndrome in that kind of thing. Cause like, it's not like you care. Because it's anime. You're watching yeah. anime. <laughs> that's what it is. We can, we can pretend it's not, but all these, you know, everybody look, if you like Pacific Rim, just watch anime. It's okay. <laughs> Nobody's going to judge you. It's just anime. So. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm getting the feel, like looking over everything this year and thinking about it, I feel like it's in some ways it's going to be a, a quieter year than this year, at least from my perspective. I mean, obviously the Marvel films are always there and we get a Star Wars, but it's not like the Star Wars. Yeah. And like DC is not really do much of anything. I mean, I guess Dark Phoenix is a big movie for X-Men, but like no one cares about that. And everyone cares even less now that we know that that shit's going to be all thrown out when whatever happens with this Disney deal comes to pass. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing about it is that, like, 2017 was a wild year for genre movies. Like, I'm just just going down the list. Obviously, Star Wars, Get Out, Wonder Woman, Thor, Baby Driver, Blade Runner, Logan, Justice League, uh, Planet of the Apes, Spider-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, an alien movie for some reason. <laughs> um, it, Lego Batman. It's been the Dark Tower. I mean, bad movie, but like this has been a wild year for genre movies. So I think you know when we look at 2018, and it's like, oh man, there's only five superhero movies. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, yeah, man, we kind of had an embarrassment of riches here in 2017, and not only did we have just a ton of genre movies, but a lot of them were genuinely good movies. Um, we got spoiled this year. Next year is going to be rough on the movie front. Well, maybe it's a sign that since we got spoiled in, in the imaginary world because of things that were the terribleness of the real world, maybe it'll, maybe it'll be a reversible, a reversal and, you know, imaginary world, take a backseat to better things in the real world. <laughs> um, I mean, like, and even for like TV, it's like a lot of the things, there's some things I'm excited for, but it's not like, even this year, it's like we had like the Punisher and like Defenders and, you know, these things that maybe they didn't all turn out to be amazing, but it was still like I was really pumped because it was something new. But like to stay on the Netflix Marvel next year, we get second season Jessica Jones, second season Luke Cage, 
think third season Daredevil potentially, which is like, okay, I, I'm, I'll watch all those. I'm interested in all those. That should be cool. But like, it's still just like another season of something I like, as opposed to like something fresh, right? Some new well, show you're really looking forward to. What we are getting on the other hand is all these goddamn anthology shows, which sounds fun. I don't know if all of them are due out in, you know, this 2018, mm -hmm. but I know electric dreams definitely is, which seems interesting. We get, Amazing Stories, I think, is going to be due out next year. Could be. You know, Twilight Zone is still in early production. I know there's working on the top of this, this Coen Brothers Western anthology. Heard about this? No, but that sounds pretty okay. Apparently it's called The Ballad, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is a Coen, Bra Coen Brothers-ass name. Yes, it is. Uh, and it's going to be on Netflix. So um, just there's some new stuff there that I'm excited for, although I still feel like... You know, Black Mirror is probably doing it better than any of those things will, but we'll see. But, like, we're not going to Game of Thrones this year. Yeah, I'm we're fine with that. I'm okay with that, too. But, like, it's just, like, I just feel like we're taking, like, a it's retrenchment a little bit of some things, which is which is not necessarily a bad thing. You can't go full force all the time. Yeah, I think, well, we're going to get Westworld Season 2. That could be good. I still need to watch that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I, I'm fine not getting any more Game of Thrones in 18. Um, I'm, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Um, and I think that, you know, that, that thing of like 2017 being a really good year for genre movies. Um, it was also a really good year for video games. Um, you know, a lot of video game, you know, sites and, and podcasts and stuff have been putting out their like game of the year for 2017 list. And there, you know, and it's like, there were just so many really excellent games to come out this year. So now I'm looking at like, all right what are the big games scheduled for next year? And most of them are like, oh, the Shadow of the Colossus remake. Like, all right, that's cool, but that game's a decade old. Uh, oh, they're re-releasing Bayonetta 1 and 2. Cool. Um, but there is something on the horizon that I am super duper psyched about, um, even though it's scheduled for 18, but I don't think it's coming out in 2013. Um and as excited as I am for Red Dead Redemption 2, the video game that I am most jazzed about for 2018 is uh, a quiet little game called Death Stranding. Are you familiar with this? Nope. All right. So um, you at least when I say Metal Gear Solid, you're at least you at least know what I'm talking about, right? Correct. Okay. So the driving creative force behind the Metal Gear Solid series Hideo Kojima um, was, and it was a big deal when all this happened, but he basically got fired from Konami and fired from the game series that he created, or he left, depends on who you ask. Um, Metal Gear 5 essentially is an unfinished game. I mean, it's out there, but it's very clear that they didn't finish it. But so he went off and he founded Kojima Studios and brought a lot of the people who worked on Metal Gear 5 with him and um, he's known for being kind of an alter in the video game field, um, kind of a weirdo. And apparently whoever is funding death stranding said, Hideo, I need you to take whatever you think is the weirdest thing you could do. And I need you to multiply that by 10. <laughs> um, it is they they released an eight minute trailer for it at the, the game awards, whatever that is. And it is, there's no gameplay in it, but uh, it features invisible monsters, a 
baby in some kind of tank, like of liquid that gives you a thumbs up, and then later appears in Norman Reedus's throat. Um, Norman Reedus is in this game, maybe uh, levitating people. It all looks like one big David Lynch nightmare. Um, it's awesome. Previous trailers have shown Mads Mikkelsen is in this game. Guillermo del Toro plays a character in this game. It's absurd. And I cannot wait for this <laughs> cuckoo bananas nonsense. That sounds like a Greg game if I ever heard of one. Yes, it is exactly that. <laughs> yeah, I I don't have any games because apparently I'm an old man who doesn't play games anymore. Maybe I'll actually have some time to play some games at some point in the future. I really want to play through Witcher 3. I, I keep like booting it up and then like walking away after 10 minutes because I have something else to do and uh, I need to do that. I've also been sort of like, you ever get the hankering for like a style of game that you don't actually really like but just want to play? You know what I'm talking about? No, I do know like, what you mean. Like for me right now, it's like, old school like resource consuming base building rts games like the <laughs> age of empire something like that i just like get the hanker i'm like but like those games are kind of like nowadays i'm like they're kind of boring and like i don't really i don't have like 12 hours to spend like when i did when i was like a third grader just like sit there all day and be like look at this crazy base i built it's like i have to like do the dishes and stuff like what else to do but uh i just have that like the hankering to like go through the motions of playing a game like that it's a weird feeling well i think uh um, I think StarCraft has gone free to play, hasn't it? I guess you're right. And that is a game that I have never played. Really? Yeah. I mean, I played it once at like a LAN party and I was like, I have no idea. Like the first one, you know, a million years ago. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. I'm getting my butt whooped. I don't know what this is, but maybe I should like, if the campaigns are free to play, I should just like give those a go. Yeah. They, um, I mean, I, I always felt like the single player, I always had a good time with the single player RTS, um, I can never hack it in multiplayer, though. You've got to be a special kind of crazy person to make that work. It's crazy. I mean, to that's why it's like the games, you know, the style multiplayer games I do play. I did play a lot of multiplayer for um, Dawn of War, Dawn of War 2, but it's like it wasn't, I mean, I wasn't any good, but I could at least like win matches now and again, probably because it was like teams of three and my <laughs> other two friends were much better than I was. They just carried <laughs> me the whole time. Uh, but like you're managing only, you know, maybe eight units at any given point as opposed to like you know armies of thousands of things you've got going on there was really no base building or resource management it was just like more tactical than strategic in that way uh but those games are just hard because everything's just so so mathy and like min maxi it's just like it's hard to make it fun you can't be a johnny in a game like that i feel like on multiplayer hmm. would you agree with that i don't know i mean rts multiplayer has just been and i've only ever done one-on-one -on -one, and it was terrifying and i hated it <laughs> so this uh while we're talking about 2018 um do you think what do you think the chances are winds of winter in 2018 uh i think they're incredibly slim i think we would be hearing more i mean i don't know i, I could see it i don't know which way you're actually it's gonna go i mean i haven't been trawling the Game of Thrones subreddit and things as much as I used to. So I just like I've, I'm past caring and I can go and like spend that time on the Sanderson subreddit and like read a bunch of crazy things and like characters that I missed and crazy theories and all the things that Sanderson says. It just seems more fruitful because I'm like, well, we can theorize all we want, but we're never actually going to see this goddamn book. So what's it matter? So I don't know if there's been any activity. 
because usually there's like false starts like oh he posted on his blog that blah 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 blah. yeah and maybe that means that blah blah blah. and if that means this then this means that and you know maybe it means it'll come out this time and it's just like i just fell for too many of those and now i'm just like i don't know if it's gonna be like a ramp up like all right guys i'm getting close to being done okay i'm done it's off to the editor blah 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 or if it's be like it's dropping in a month yeah i just don't know what it's gonna be if it's the latter, like maybe, but I just don't, I don't think it'll be the latter. I think you want to generate some hype and get people back into it and rereading it and getting prepared. And I just, you know, I don't know. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I don't either. I I, I feel like if he was, because I mean, I don't know how long it takes. Like what's the, so let's say George hands in his, you know, his, his finished manuscript tomorrow. Like what's the turnaround time between when he does that and when a book is on a shelf, like you, cause you figure it's got to go through editorial processes. Um, there's all kinds of marketing that wants to happen. The publisher is going to want to release it at a certain time, you know, and then there's, you know, I mean, you actually have to print these things and put them on trucks and get them out to all the Barnes and Noble. So is it, I mean, you figure that's got to take a couple of months, right? I believe he said once when he talked about his, 2017 January 1st deadline. He said that was a thing that had been put to him if he wanted to get his book out before this past season. And that was like the absolute, you know, bare minimum time we need to get everything put together to get this book out before the new season, which was what, April? Yeah. Late April? So you figure they need at least three months. Yeah. And that seems right. Because I think Sanderson turned in his copy of Oathbringer on it in like August and it came out in November. So that seems about right. Yeah. Like, you know, because... You know, they, they've got to, they at least have to have somebody <laughs> read the book and, you know, make sure all the, you know, words are spelled correctly. Um, and then there's probably maybe some rounds of revisions. And yeah, so I think that I feel like if it was coming out this year, we're going to hear in the next two to three months. Um, but I would almost hazard a guess that since he hasn't been teasing it and saying like, we're almost there, we're almost there then he's probably not that close to being done. No, I doubt it. And it's, you know, it's fine. And don't get me wrong. I'm still excited for when that book comes out someday. Mm-hmm. And I will read the shit out of it as soon as it happens. But for now, I've really had to just put it out of my head and move on to other things. And I, you know, there's a lot of good stuff out there. And I'm hoping to start. I think one of my goals this year is to, after catching up on some recommendations from, you know, my esteemed co-host, <laughs> I would like to delve into some other, you know, fantasy and sci-fi series that are maybe some not quite as popular names because the books that I've, you know, the, the books that I've consumed, just at least especially in the fantasy area, have been like, these are the big names in fantasy currently. And there's probably lots of other good stuff out there that I just need to kind of just dig into. I've got, I've got, a, you know, some, someone's, some names in the back of my head that I've heard that are also big names that I've just never gotten to either. But because we're not going to get anything from Martin... Most likely. So we're let, not going to get anything from Rothfuss. <laughs> so let me we're ask you We're not going to get anything from Abercrombie or Sanderson. It's like, this is a good time to like branch off. Right. So let me, let me ask you this. God forbid it happens that George R. R. Martin is unable to finish the winds of winter and the worst of all possible worlds. Uh, he does ask Patrick Rothfuss to fa- finish the book. Patrick Rothfuss finishes winds of winter do you read that book? I mean, I, I'd have to. Right? <laughs> I like, knew you would. You would not read that no, book. No, absolutely not. 
I mean, I, I don't know if it I don't think it would be a good book, but I just said the pure academic exercise is like, what is this going to look like? And just because I'm a sadist for story, I just like, I want to know what happens from not even from, I guess, not even from the that guy's mouth, but hell, fuck it. I'm just going to read real time again. Screw it. <laughs> no, but, but no, like I, there's got to be someone better. Like give it to Abercrombie. He can do it. Sanderson. Sanderson would not write that. It's his Mormon wholesomeness would never allow him to write a book that says that that says fuck in it or has anyone fucking in it. Although I will say that Oathbringer, like it's still just like, it's still wholesome, but it's like he is recognizing that like sex exists, which is good. (laughs) And that like people have like sexual feelings towards one another, which is like, all right, that's good. That's his progress. Cause like you can't, I think to be a well-rounded author, you, you don't have to focus on those things. Right. But especially if you're writing like high fantasy nonsense, but you can't ignore them either when you have like people in love and are in relationships and stuff. And not that we've had a ton of that. Um, like there's not really like ro- much romance in Mistborn. I mean, I guess there is. Well, but I think that Ellen, yeah, but I think that's the thing I, is that the lack of the abject sexlessness of at least the, the mis- early Mistborn books, like it, it's weird. Like you start to notice like how, chased the books are because and yeah i'm not i don't i'm not asking for it to be smutty but like these are two characters who are ostensibly these are two young people ostensibly in love and they never even exhibit any signs of physical attraction do you know what i mean like it's just it, it, it it becomes a kind of glaring omission i think that it's it's two things i think a you know he's talked about and he sort of tried, people always like, oh, is it because you're really Mormon? He's like, that's not really why. He's like, granted, you know, I want to write books my kids could read and my friends and family would deem appropriate for their kids. That's, I get that. I also think that like fantasy in general has a lot of that, like sure. kind of ignoring that, kind of making it like a chase world, which is, I really, I really can't wait for you to watch the first episode of that Black Mirror because you're going to really like it and uh, kind of touches on that. Um, but so no, I, I don't think that, I would want Sanderson to do it one because like I said, I don't, he wouldn't want to do all that stuff. B two. I don't think he could capture, not that I'm not that I'm convinced Rothfuss could either, but I'm not sure he could capture Martin's writing style in the same way that he captured Jordan's. Yeah, that's probably wasn't fair. perfect, but I don't think he has the prosiness and some of like, I mean, Martin is a, a, like to me, a, a good writer. I mean, he has like really his writing style is very, is very good. And, um, I don't think not that Sanderson's is bad, but he's very, he always says my goal is to be invisible, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I would see him have a hard time tackle that. Plus I don't want him to, cause I'm like his stuff. I don't want him to take a break. <laughs> I mean, looking back, it must've been frustrating for people who are really getting, now granted he was younger, but people who really like his books when he was like, Oh, I'm going to stop and write three wheel of time books. It's like, Oh well, shit, man. I don't even ever read that series. I want to read your other books. Whereas maybe somebody else be a little more willing to, like I like Abercrombie stuff. I'm excited for his world to keep developing, but like I'm not on the edge of my seat waiting for the next thing to happen in the first law universe. Like I am in Sanderson's world, but yeah, it's very interesting because the talk about like the, the sexual stuff, because the, the Stormlight archive world, the main, most of the characters you, you kind of follow are in this kind of very like honor driven and prudish society where like the divisions between men and females male and females doing different things is very stark and it's a very like uh proper and well that's convenient like, the right words but well yeah it's convenient but like 
he I, but i think he's taking that as like a challenge for his character the characters he's introducing are like breaking those norms and breaking those norms down and especially the female protagonist shallan she's like very very blunt and seems to not care so much about those sort of things and is like flagrantly disregarding some of like the gender divides mm-hmm. um and, sh- and she's she's a character that you know she's in love with this other guy and she's like oh he's you know comments on his physical attractiveness and like talks about how it makes her feel and like you know this is obviously still a society where where you're supposed to uh you know get married before you have sex and all those kind of things and she's talking about how hard it is to do that and things like that where it's like okay this is good i'm liking that like you're addressing that these people have desires and yes. urges and um that's good uh but it's almost like because he's because he's chosen to make a world where to focus on a part of a world and make a world where like gender differences are very stark and very sharp like for example women you know women have certain roles and men have certain roles in this part of the part of the world one of the weird quirks is that women their left hand is is called their safe hand and they have to have it covered at all times. Basically it's the equivalent of like showing them, showing them in your boobs. If you show them your left hand. Huh. So they all wear like wearing a pouch is the most modest thing to do. Like a little sleeve that covers like sewn sleeve essentially. And if you wear a glove, it's the equivalent of like old school women wearing pants where it's like, Ooh, like she's following the rules, but like just barely. And so that's kind of like a weird, one of those weird, just like fantasy nonsense quirks. <laughs> Um, but also like the food is divided, like women's food is like sweet and, you know, fruity and like men's food is like spicy and like curries and things like that. So it's just like, they have a very weird side and like not the whole world isn't like that. And a lot of the other people in the world who aren't from that area are like, you're all fucking weird. Like, why do you do this stuff? But (laughs) yeah, I mean, Hey, at least he's addressing gender politics. Yeah. But I think it's because he's like made that a point that he now is like addressing it where Maybe if he wasn't, or maybe he's just growing as a writer, I think is also yeah. possible. I think it's probably a little bit of both. So I hope it's a little bit of both. Because I think in the last the last two Mistborn books, he definitely has a lot more like of that sort of thing going down as well. Sorry, I'm I'm dying a little bit on the inside right here. But <laughs> that being said, um, is there any like I mean, usually usually books are so after the fact, like I'm not usually Oh, this new book I'm looking forward to is coming out next week, you know, but is there anything I'm excited for that one, the X-Men comic that you mentioned? Before. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the the one big publication that I'm interested in um, is that's uh, X-Men Grand Design. I think that gets published or at least collected, a collected edition comes out in April, I think. Um, that's Ed Pisker's um, kind of consolidation of the first 30 years of X-Men into a single story um, in his kind of vintage 1970s art style. Um, I hear it's very, very good. Um, I'm looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to um, finally catching up on Hellboy and BPRD because there may be some pretty big developments coming in that world that I thought was kind of winding down, but... uh, it appears Mignola has some new plans, uh, which I'm sure has nothing to do with the new Hellboy movie, which might be coming out next year. But um, uh, I'm looking forward to getting back into that world. Yeah, I, I heard just rumblings that there was some crazy stuff going on in the BPRD line that was sort of shaking up the world. But I don't know. I didn't go any deeper because I do want to delve into that at some point. Another one to put on the to-do list for this year. <laughs> What do you think is going to happen this year, Greg? Like, what do you think is going to be the big thing in 2018? <laughs> Anything. 
Um, uh, I think there's a very good chance that um, you and I will see a, 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 a uh, an impeachment process, if not a genuine constitutional crisis. All right. I'd say that's a fair as the, as the news goes by on a weekly basis, it's a fair thing to say, which would be a, a pretty big deal. <laughs> I mean, we, I have vague memories of the Clinton impeachment. Um, I mean, I was maybe 10, uh, maybe 11 when that was going on. Um, vague memories of that. Um, but I think the impression always was that, uh, Bill Clinton was going to go along with the course of law and of and of norms. Whereas if, when a, an impeachment proceedings actually begin, um, there is no way that Donald Trump looks at that process and says, well, well, I'm going to let the process play out. Um, I'm not going to interfere. It's, and, um, I, I'll accept the judgment of, of the Senate. Like that ain't going to happen. Um, they'll probably be like, I am the Senate. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think we, we are looking at the genuine question of, you know, what happens, what, what happens when, you know, there's another Saturday night massacre and he starts firing, you know, clearing house at the justice department until he finds someone who will, uh, work with him or, um, you know, I mean, honestly, well, I don't, I don't know that we have an answer for this, but, um, what happens if we go through an impeachment procedure and he just says, no, like, what if he's, what if he's impeached and then convicted? Um, and he just says like, no, I'm still the president. Like I wouldn't put it past him. And I'm not sure we have a great answer for that. So it's going to be, I think a very, very interesting year. I think it's very, very likely that, um, uh, Democrats um, retake uh, Congress, in which case, and I think it's very, very likely that the Mueller investigations produce impeachable crimes. And um, what happens next is going to be horrifying, but also very, very interesting as a kind of like, hey, let's let's stress test our fucking system of government. <laughs> let's let's see what happens if. Uh, um, if you have uh, an unwilling participant. Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, I agree with you, I think. And I wanted to ask, sort of bring it full circle here, based on what's happened in 2017 and so many of uh, the end of the year rundowns and things are talking and, you know, it's about, and moving in 2018. Oh, you know, this year was so terrible. Luckily, we had a bunch of good imaginary stuff to go to. Here's what's to go to next year to escape the real world. But how do you feel? How, what do you think is going to happen in the next year and then beyond and then like, you know, what effect this year will have on beyond that this coming year on genre fiction, you know, where does that, where do these things, these parts of our, we've already seen a little bit of it, I think, in that we're having a lot more um, politically revel relevant genre fiction pieces this year, like Get Out and Handmaid's Tale. But where do you, like even more particularly in the pol political zone, especially some of the big political debates, especially when we get into more of a constitutional debate, do you feel like that will be reflected at all in our genre fiction. I mean, I was just bringing this up because today I was watching, started watching Supernatural season 13 and the new big bad comes into town and he's like smooth talking Southerner and he's the new, the new king of hell or whatever. And the old demons were like, oh, he says he's going to make, you know, hell great again. And he comes in and says something about like, 
draining the swamp. And I'm like, oh my God, like it was so on the nose. It was funny, but also just like, okay, well, this is at least, they're at least being like, we they're aware of what's going on. And some things are, do a bad job of that. Like the Arrow gun control episode last year. And apparently this year they're having a Black Lives Matter episode, which I'm just. Oh, don't do that, I'm like, Arrow. Listen, like there's a time and a place for this to be discussed, but the CW is probably not the place to do it. Right. Especially because, and here's the thing, is that being the CW, you're going to feel compelled to show, quote unquote, both sides right. of that conversation. And the problem is there aren't both sides. There is the thing where you agree with the objective reality that, um, Black people today in America are much more likely to um, to die at the hands of police officers, and those police officers are unlikely to be punished at all, objective reality, um, and say, hey, that's a bad thing that shouldn't be, or you are on the side of bullshit because you've been told that, like, oh, Black Lives Matter, like, hates all cops, or, oh, Black Lives Matter is the black KKK, like, in which case, one side is, hey, these are facts and they are bad, should be fixed. The other side is, I, I think the world is, is, is different and, and I like my version better. Like, so, yeah, stay away from these things, television. Leave it to movies who can take risks or even places like HBO who are not afraid of pissing people off in the in the act of showing them maybe they're wrong about the nature of the world um but i don't know i mean i think that movies move slowly but i think that you could make the argument that even the last jedi is kind of a rejection of trumpian ideas because it's a rejection of the idea that um of the um the idea of like the extraordinary individual and that individual's um, ability to change the world. It's kind of saying that like, no, um, um, you know, like big, brash, bold, you know, ballsy moves um, like, you know, kind of exemplified in Poe's character. Like, hey, a lot of times those are stupid and end up doing more damage than they than they save. Um, and that, you know, oh, we used to think that it was only certain people who were born a certain way with from certain families with certain things in their blood were able to be the big saviors of the galaxy. Nope. Turns out it can be anyone like that's kind of a rejection of the idea that like, um, you know, you need a big, strong man with a big, strong button to come in and, and fix all your problems. Um, was it I mean, was it written that way? I'm sure it wasn't. Um, but you know, these are the things that are bubbling up in the culture. And I think that if you look at other things, you're seeing a lot more, you know, even in superheroes, it's more about the team and, um, the support system around the hero. And, um, you know, our superhero teams are looking younger and less white all the time. Maybe, and this is maybe also one of the reasons I'm a little less jazzed about, um, Infinity Wars, because like I kind of want a different team now, you know. Um, so I think that that stuff's already kind of happening. Um, but yeah, movies are tough because they move. You know, I mean, it's it's you know even especially genre movies. Like you're looking at two years. So how do things adapt? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I wonder. You know, you've talked in the past about how 
you know, maybe some superhero stuff doesn't fit so well in this, you know, the current climate. Although the Punisher probably was a little bit like, oh, maybe even the most extreme ones <laughs> might still fit. Um, I do, I do wonder a little bit how like there's a lot of classic 70s and 80s, you know, sort of that classic sci-fi slash moving into the steam, um, not steampunk, cyberpunk um, era, which was very like hyper individualistic in a lot of ways. And definitely skewed towards, I wouldn't necessarily say right values or Trumpian values, but, you know, very individual focused and free free focused, whatever you want to call it, anti-government maybe. And there's a lot of that coming out, which is going to be an interesting juxtaposition, I think, given the current state of affairs. Yeah, but I think that... And how that's going to like play out. I think that you're going to see, I, I don't think that that like hyper-individualistic stuff is going to really catch on because I think that there's only a very, very small subset of people right now who are feeling like, yes, um, we need to burn down our institutions. Um, everything is corrupt. I think that the overall mood of the country, if not the world right now is like, look, even if you are a Republican and you feel like Donald Trump is a Republican president who is going to do a lot of things that I think are best for the country. Um, even if you're that person, I think you have to acknowledge that this particular president, whether he's Republican or Democrat, regardless of where his ideology may lie, he is impulsive and out of his depth and um, easily provoked. And in many ways, he is dangerous. And he can do a lot of damage, not only through, you know, maybe getting us involved in a war, um, but also just the damage he can do to our institutions, things we need. I think anybody but the most ardent Trump supporter is going to say, you know, the FBI is a good thing. We should have an FBI and we shouldn't have the president discrediting the FBI. And so, and we're relying on the institutions of our government to protect us from this particular president's uh, worst impulses. Again, regardless of where you fall on policy, like you're kind of hoping that if the president wants to do something crazy, like ban transgender people from the military, the institutions of the government are gonna be like, no, 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 sorry, guy. You, turns out you've there's a form you got to fill out for that. <laughs> like you can't just say that on Twitter. So the idea of government institutions being helpful as opposed to like, you know, oppressing our protagonists, I think that's what we're looking at. I don't know that. I mean, you know, nobody makes great movies about like the post office, but I think that, you know, if there's a time when the X files where it's FBI agents as the lead characters is going to work, it's going to be now when we're like, yeah, we kind of want to believe that there are people in our government who are looking out, for, <laughs> looking out for the country's best interest and, you know, protecting us from our, you know, the government protecting us from the government, um, as opposed to, um, the more individualistic stuff. That makes sense. One, one other area I'm interested to see, and you know, once again, these things all take time to play out, but I think we're, we're really on the cusp of some pretty dramatic technological advancements in the next, you know, maybe not necessarily in 2018, but like very soon. And I think those things are beginning to really become public knowledge in a way that maybe five years ago or two years ago, they weren't. Um, I think that's epitomized by the popularity of something like Black Mirror, where mm -hmm. a year or two ago, Black Mirror was like some weird show that British people liked. 
and now it's like just as hyped on Netflix as Stranger Things or whatever else, and everybody is talking about it. And that show brings up a lot of questions about a lot of things in sort of a, a somewhat narrow subset of technology. But when it comes to, I mean, all the things that Elon Musk is doing, like most of the things are in his his hands because it's just like you've got some very thing, there's some things that are really going to disrupt our economy and our way of life and the government and all these things that are really going to, um, obviously those things are going to happen overnight, but the idea of what they can do, I think are going to also propel a lot of new science fiction and even potentially fantasy stories. Because when you, because it's very interchangeable in some ways where you're like, well, solar energy keeps seeming to be the path to go and we keep gaining the efficiencies we gain, then that's a seeming, you know, it's a very, Changes the way our energy system works. You could you could definitely make a fantasy book that revolves around having access to energy in that way that you know changes the economy and things like that. So my point is that I think that these things are also going to promote provoke a lot of both optimistic, you know, in some ways a lot of sci-fi can be optimistic about technology changes, and there's a lot of sci-fi like Black Mirror that will point out the potential issues. You know, when you have things like self-driving cars and you know integrated hardware and people and seeming to be more like more focus on space stuff with like everyone and their brother trying to hop on the space train. I mean, even not that it says anything, but our, our beloved president saying we're going to do a Mars mission or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, okay. If you just cut their budget, whatever. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but like there seems to be, uh, you know, after some of the shuttle stuff and some of the problems, there was a NASA was in a lull. And I think we're on the upswing now with some of that as well as in the private sector, obviously, which is where the most of the action is happening. But I think that's going to provoke more of an interest in new sci-fi stories. Yeah, and I'm glad that I'm glad for Black Mirror, even though I'm behind on it, because it it enables it's it's asking the questions about our technology and bringing a critical eye to the technology in a way that isn't just you know your grandfather saying these kids today with their phones, you know it's actually a more intelligent um, approach, and it's asking us to think about the role mm. it plays in our lives as opposed to just being a contrarian. So, and I think we're going to get more of that because I think that the growing, there is a growing unease, I think, culturally in the role the technology plays in our lives. I think we were, you know, this election would did a lot to disillusion us about Facebook and, you know, the role it plays in the way our world is shaped. Um, I think we are, we are looking at a Twitter president and realizing, oh, that's maybe not great. And I think, you know, a lot of us, we've had, you know, especially those, uh, you know, people who have had phones, you know, smartphones for a long time are starting to think like starting to realize that their relationship with that device is fraught. Um, and I think as we, as AI becomes a bigger and bigger part of all of our lives and all of that stuff, we're getting uneasy and I'm glad that art is helping us unpack that unease as opposed to just staring down its nose and, and being like you kids today with your fancy toys. Yeah. I mean, in the past it was a lot of either the very apocalyptic, like the robots are going to take over and kill us all kind of thing, which is still a thing. And it's fun, you know, at times. And like I said, or like, yeah, like the Luddite criterion curmudgeon approach, like, you know, Back in my day, it was better. We know like stuff, but I definitely really felt. I think that you're completely accurate about the unease of like our relationship with technology, especially the phones and the internet, because 
the holidays really highlighted it for me this year. And I don't know if it, maybe it's just like one of those things where like, I think everybody's family is, you know, different ages and different, different ages and whatever. So things maybe take different, different times to catch on. But like this year was the year where I just looked around and was just like, we have a problem. And I'm like one of the most like pro technology, technocratic, like technology is the way to solve all of our issues for the most part, like ever. And I'm certainly not a curmudgeon against a lot of things. Like many people are like, oh, the them damn video games or all that violence on the television. You know, like I'm none of those things, but like, and don't get me wrong. Like I like my phone, mm-hmm. but when I'm looking around at the holidays and seeing like everyone not talking and on their phone and like, or more, usually what I saw was like a couple people doing that. And then a couple people laughing and enjoying themselves. And then a, sometimes that would like seep into the crowd because like, like, well, if he's on his phone, I want to talk to people, oh, yeah, but if he's is. on his phone and she's on her phone, like, I don't know what else to do besides pull out my phone it's and a jump chain on re- too. It's a chain reaction. Yeah, it, it's, you can actually sit back and, and watch in a room of, um, uh, you know, the time it takes from, like, you know, once there's an awkward silence, the first person to pull out their phone, and then that gives everyone else in the room permission. Um, it's kind of like I remember being back in grade school, like, right as the period would about would about to end, uh, or high school, probably, you know, just as the period was like five minutes, somebody would reach down and start to unzip their backpack. And as soon <laughs> as one person in the room heard that sound, everybody started to do it. And it's just these ch- chain reactions in a room. And yeah, it's creepy to watch. Yeah. And, and like, you know, with, with little kids, like, you know, family members and stuff, it's just like, Ooh, I don't know if this is like, it's hard. Cause I was always the one growing up, you know, and like, not like more recently, like in grad school or in, in my job when people are like, oh, I don't know when to like let my kids what age is like, is it OK to let them start playing video games or like watching movies with X or whatever? And me being a kid who grew up playing video games like 60 hours a week and feeling very like well adjusted and <laughs> smart and OK. I'm all, I was always like, oh, don't just, you know, let, let them be exposed to it. But, I'm all, but at the same time, it's just like I don't want to say it's different now, but like I almost feel like it's different now. It's always I mean, that's just like the roast tinted glasses of the past, but I don't know. What do you, like, what do you think is like with, we talked about this a little bit video games, but like more broadly the phone and all that stuff. Now that you are a father who is going to have a youngster who is going to be very quickly be able to start interacting with that world. What do you feel about that? Well, Karen and I talked about this because obviously it's very early to ask this question, but you know, when you're new parents, you're always kind of just like running scenarios. And she said like, when are we going to let her have a phone? And my answer was, it's probably going, we are probably going to give her a phone a year or two earlier than we feel okay about, like, because she's going to want it and it's going to need to be a part of her life because of the way she's going to need it to interact with her friends. And by depriving her of it, we are setting her up in a, you know, cruel social situation or something to that effect. So it's going to be earlier than we want. Like, I think we just need to prepare ourselves for it's going to be earlier than we want. Uh, I mean, I think that the big lesson that we as parents are going to have to teach her, and it's going to be extra hard because we are not good at it ourselves, but how do you teach a kid to moderate their use of these screens? Because they are addictive. We know they are. I mean, we've all pulled out our phone compulsively and felt the little dopamine rush of just watching the thing light up. You know, how do we teach our kids to moderate our behavior, moderate their behavior and know when, you know, when it's too much? Like, I don't know how to stop eating candy. Like, I never learned that skill. I have to teach my kid that skill somehow. I also like, 
I need to teach my kid how to have quiet time without screens. So I don't know how I'm going to do that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think the only positive thing I think is that our generation is self-aware enough to know that it's like, I mean, we're probably, we're guilt, very guilty of it, but I, the ones I actually see who are like the biggest victims are like people in my parents' generation or like maybe slightly younger in that like 40s, like 45 to like 65 age ranges when I see like for that relatives, they're the ones who literally were on their phones yeah. perpetually where some of the you know youngsters like me like might take it out in an awkward silence, but then leave the room and go talk to somebody else and maybe something else because like we know in the back of our head that it's not completely okay. And plus, I think sometimes we're getting a little bored of it. So, well, you know, I, like, oh, there's nothing good on the TV, nothing good on the Facebook. Like, go, you I know, think, go walk around. But and part of that might also be like, I've had a smartphone for 10 years now, plus. So I've had time to go through all the phases of, you know, of, of addiction with it, I guess. It's probably not the right word. But like, you know, I've, I've had this thing in my life long enough that like, I can... I can self-identify the behaviors and know when it's time to cut myself off or like I can resist the urge because there's no novelty left in it. Whereas my parents, you know, they weren't there to buy the first iPhone. They might've only had, they've only had smartphones for maybe five years. So they're further on, further behind on the curve than I am. So I don't know if it's generational or just that like I've had a longer, I've had a longer lifespan with this technology and have, I have a more mature relationship with my smartphone than my parents do just because they haven't had it in their life as long as I have. I don't know. I think that's probably part of it. I also think that I don't know how to describe this tactfully for like our older listeners. I'm I'm sure which there are, you know, hundreds or thousands, but (laughs) there's not thousands of any of them, any kind of listener. Um, this is talking the future in like five years when people are listening to our back catalog and we're like super popular. Oh, right. Right. Um, Yeah. Uh, but the things that amuse an older person don't amuse us for very long. Like, I I feel like someone like my mother, bless her heart, could probably sit on Facebook and share like cutesy words on, you know, landscape pictures and things for like six hours and like be completely happy or somebody else. Like, I I don't ever tell that time I, I realized that my father, who is a complete, like, technology anti-technology curmudgeon uh loves casual games like i gave him when i found out he's playing like shitty you know like yahoo games bejeweled and stuff like i gave him peggle and my stepmom said that he played peggle for probably 12 hours a day for like two years <laughs> like legitimately like that affects people and like those kind of things there's like the dopamine like you said like both in like social media but also in, in other areas like the casual games we discussed before I feel like those things are having less of an effect on us maybe. And like, we're probably doing some of the like different things that are doing the same thing and having us at, it all amounts to us being on our phone the same amount of time in a given situation, but that I don't know, has become more self-aware older people are not known for being super self-aware. So, well, but maybe um, once you get past a certain point, but maybe, maybe th- therein lies the secret. I mean, they're happy with, some free ad-driven match three puzzle game. It can be amused for hours, but I have to go and spend four hundred dollars on a four K gaming rig with, and then sixty dollars per game plus DLC plus a fancy controller. And now I need a good TV to watch it on. Who's the sucker for real here? 
<laughs> You're not wrong. And then I'm wasting hours yes. and hours a week listening to Giant Bomb deliberate over their game of the year. Like, I'm going to spend a good 12 plus hours listening to that podcast because I'm wow. into it. Seriously, who's the dummy? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it all comes down to whatever floats your boat, different <laughs> strokes, right? But, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I just wonder what that's going to look like in our genre fishing. Because I think we realize that we're already preemptive i mean i won't spoil anything but a lot of the a bit major theme in black mirror has been the rights of non-human persons i guess you might mm -hmm. say essentially ai and that this season especially and i feel like that's also an interesting thing as we machine learning is becoming more of a topic that's well known and i don't know i'm going down a tangent here but i think that we'll see a lot more speculative science fiction over the next couple of years based on some of that stuff and some of the more broader social and societal economic impl implication implicate eh, implications of things like self-driving cars and a more automated workforce and certain industries bottoming out like fossil fuels and whatever. Yeah. I think whoever writes the first kind of courtroom drama where an AI is put on trial for making a traffic decision that resulted in a fat fatality, um, uh, that that's going to be a, a pretty good, it's going to be a good movie. <laughs> I assume the lawyer will be played by Matthew McConaughey. And I assume it'll be on Black Mirror. <laughs> All right. And it'll have some crazy twist. <laughs> well, I think that I think that covers our bases for for our, our kind of 2018 antici anticipatory meandering conversation. <laughs> hey man, that's what that's what beginnings new beginnings are all about. Being a year is about just shaking the cobwebs off and I'm just gonna feel it out. Sp speaking what's on your mind and moving on from there. All right. Well, I hope I hope you have a good week. I think we'll be back next week with a proper topic, maybe that has some research and planning associated with it. What? No, <laughs> stupid. We got to get back in the routine, man. New year. We got to get yeah. back to it. New year. All right, guy. We'll have a good week. You too.